Well, good morning, church. Oh, good. You talk back. I like that. That's what I'm used to. (laughs) Yes, I'm grateful to be here. Um, I serve as outreach director at my church, and so that gives me the opportunity to uh, meet lots of wonderful people. And a part of that has been um, you, many of you, and you've been gracious to me. I thank you, Caleb, for the invite, and Dawn for being, she's become so close, I feel like she's, she's my sister, but uh, I'm old enough to be her grandmother. <laughs> so I thank God for the topic, the flow of justice, the privilege to talk about what that looks like through the eyes of Deborah um, and the experience. I don't know how many of you have heard the story of Deborah and Barak. Yeah, you probably heard it, that she threw shade on Barak for not wanting to go to war without her. Did you hear that? Yeah, that's the, that's the narrative. I know it is. Okay. Well, as I was looking at and doing the research for this, we're going to find ourselves in the book of Judges, chapters 4, and a little bit in chapter 5 where they get to sing. But as I was doing this, God was teaching me something a little different. Um, I'm, folks who know me know that I start my, my life, my day, my thoughts always begin in Genesis chapter 1 when there was no division between men and women. You remember that? Yeah. And so when I began to look at this, I thought about this toxic world, world we're living in right now. It's so divided. It's divided Ethnically, it's divided. Culturally, it's divided gender-wise. And uh, recently, it's gotten worse with the gender division. And so as I began to reflect on this particular relationship, there were a couple of things that came out to me. So we start out in Judges, and I'm just going to kind of skip through, if if you will, but we're in Judges chapter 4. And the Bible says, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died, and the Lord, the Lord, the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Now, this is an area that the Israelites were settled in, okay? And uh, your pastor can teach you all about the legacy of the 12, 12 tribes and where they landed in Israel and what property they were got in an inheritance. That's a lot of research. And I tell you that I learned a lot just looking at where they were situated for this particular time. And so... As we know, and as you know, and as we've even worshipped this morning, the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. Why? Because they were being oppressed. They were under a dominant, um, oppressive 
ruler. Because anytime you don't do what God wants you to do, you might end up in trouble. Oh, I'm the only one. (laughs) And so they cried out to the Lord, and the Lord hears his people, right? He always hears his people, but he had a plan. Now, Deborah. Now, Deborah is described as uh, a prophetess. She's a judge. They describe her as a wife. In other narratives, she's described as a mother. But nowhere is there anything that clearly shows exactly how to put her in that box, except that she was judging Israel at that time. So we know she had a job description, and her job declared that she had to judge. And so the people came to her for help when they were in trouble. They came to her for advice when they needed it. I'm finding myself at this stage of my life that people are doing that to me, and it kind of makes me a little nervous. (laughs) I always have to ask the Lord what he's saying. Deborah was the mouthpiece that the Lord was using for the people of that region at that time. It was a regional office, folks. And so she used to sit under the palm of Deborah. I looked at the geography of that, and I looked at the strategic placement of of where people were at this time. And so as we go along, you'll see a little bit more. But this Cicero, this, 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 this general, let me go back, this general was terrifying to the Israelites. And he oppressed the people for, and had chariots of iron. Now, you know, back in the, we, we got iron a lot today. We, we got these chariots that keep crashing on the freeway. But... This was like, I think of it as the uh, war that's going on in another part of the world where somebody seems to have a better army and have more stuff and we keep sending stuff to them, uh, the people who, are being, who have less to help them come up to the level of the folks that have the most. Uh, you all know who I'm talking about. I don't go, I don't go into politics, but I, I just want you to know that that God watches wars, and he watches oppression. And his whole desire has always been that his people would not be oppressed. But that's fearful. Anyway, back to my story. Deborah was sitting there, and, and God had, had told Barak something. God told Barak. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh. Y'all get your Bible maps out and you'll see the the territory. And, and, And she says to him, has not the Lord God of Israel commanded you? So he already had the information, folks. 
She wasn't giving him new information. God had already given him his command. Now, Barak was the general of the army for Israel. And Sisera was the general or the commander for the army of King Jabin. So here we go. Has not the Lord God of Israel commanded you to gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and people of Zebulon? Now, these were bordering uh, cousins because they were all descendants of, of, of the, of, from the tribe of Israel. They were all descendants from there. And that they had gotten this territory where they were as inheritance. So the descendants all lived around. And, and, and the thing about it, Zebulon lived um, by the sea. So I, I, I pictured that, you know, he had that, that, that territory was the seashore. And so they kind of could capture or, or, or set up a fortress against anybody coming in from the sea. So we had land mass and we had sea mass. So I'm looking at God's strategy because God's already told Barak or Barak, however you want to say it, what he was supposed to do. And he says to him in 6.2.10, he says, and I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon or Kishon, with his chariots and troops, and I will give him into your hand. But Barak says to Deborah, and that's not how you say it in Hebrew, but I'm not going to chance it. (laughs) If you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, The road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. There is the prophecy. It's not the prophecy that he was going to win, but the prophecy of what God was going to do. Now, the thing about this is that as I looked at this relationship between Barak and Deborah, I realized that she was simply trying to shore up his confidence in what God has already told him to do, and so went with him. Because I don't know how many of you know that women are in the army, women are in the military. And did you realize that even when a country, a weaker country recently was attacked, women got into uniform? They kind of left home, left family, um, and they died. They suffered. So, so we, not, we, we need to take away the narrative, and I have been finding this narrative throughout cultures, throughout countries throughout history that isn't exactly accurate about women. Sorry, ladies, but we're not the gentle flowers that we're made out to be in some narratives. 
Some of us and many of us, and I don't know, I think all of us, anybody who has to bear a child can't be weak. (laughs) But we need to understand that it's complementary and that it is a relationship issue that brings man and woman together for a purpose that God himself has created. Does that make sense? So as I looked at this narrative, I no longer see it as Deborah versus Barak. I see them in partnership. I see them in relationship, moving into a space that God has declared they should go. And for us today, God has us in relationship. He's bringing us into partnership, preparing us for what God has for us to do today in waging peace together, in coming together for his purpose. And so we're not any longer... I know you guys remember what they say in in, in the New Testament about, you know, but that happened in chapter 3 of Genesis. That was not chapter 1 and 2. So we need to understand that the accountability part, man, woman, male, female, we are equally accountable to obey God's command whatever that is. And so this one had to do with deliverance. People are crying out. In this nation, people are crying out for deliverance. And it's going to take men and women together working to do what God has commanded to bring that deliverance. That's an underlying message throughout this whole theme as I looked at this. So she said, I will surely go to you, go with you, nevertheless. And then she warns him about how it's going to end. But that's not the end, okay? So then Deborah, arose and went with him. Now, this, I, when, when I looked at this particular verse, I said, now, Lord, why is this one in here? What does this have to do with anything? But when I looked at this person, and and, and there's no more uh, narrative about Heber, except that he had separated, in some of the the translations, he had separated himself away from the Kenites that he was a part of. And his wife was an Israel woman, a Jewish woman. He had separated himself away. Why? Why had he come away from, what wounding, what issues, what, what argument, what, what tragedy, what's, what happened that made this person whose name means joiner to separate himself from the people that he, were his tribe, his people? What happened? We have people among us who are wounded, who withdraw their, their, their presence from us, 
And so he doesn't even enter the picture anymore except to say he separated himself. Now, this was strategic for God's plan. But it, I, I thought, so Heber, where are you? You have a wife. And, and it seems that they might have been nomadic because of, of, of what happens later, and we'll talk about that. But as I looked at this, I'm saying, Heber, why did you leave? Why did you separate yourself from, from, from your people? And, and so, and it, but the thing about it is that because of his tribe, because of his relationship, they had a really good relationship with the people of, of Joab, the, uh, the people of Jabin, rather. The, the, the army, Sisera's family, Sisera's people had great relationship with the Kenites. So that was a great place for him to be for God's plan. But look at this. He pulled himself away. Why? Poor baby. No, really. I have a son who... Uh, pulls himself away. And he misses a lot of the strength of the family. He isolates himself from the resources and the knowledge that we can give him and the support that he needs. So I'm thinking, man, you shouldn't have done that. But no, God has a plan. So long story short, y'all know that you, you know that Israel won, right? God did what he said he was going to do. But this is what I want you to see. There was peace between Jabin, the king of Hazor, and the house of Heber, the Kenite. And so since there was peace between them, when Sisera was running for his life, he ran to that safe, separated space. What's this got to do with justice? You'll see. Because I don't like war either. But he ran to this space. And, he, and the Heber's wife, that Israel, Israelite woman, came out to meet him. And said, come on in. And, 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 and so he said, turn aside, my lord. And, and do not be afraid. And, you know, he needed that safe space. Now, if I was him, I'd have hightailed it on home. But he needed to rest. He was tired, battle-weary, army-beaten, probably feeling very bad. He needed some comfort. He needed some rest. And so he asked for water. Turn aside, my lord. I can just hear that voice so sweet. Do not be afraid. So he went into her tent. She covered him with a rug. I'm one of those folks that, you know, if you cover my ear when I'm tired, I can go right to sleep. And he said, please give me to drink, water to drink, for I'm thirsty. She opened a skin of milk. I'm thinking goat's milk, you know, probably warm and that lulled him into 
his safe place. And he went to sleep, into a deep sleep. Now look at this. This woman was probably nomadic because she knew how to handle a tent peg and a hammer. Okay? No shrinking violet there. She didn't wait for the man to put the tent up. Understand the strength that this woman had to have. First of all, the strength to have thought about, well, this is really the enemy of my people. He may be friends with my husband, but he's the enemy of my people, and they've been oppressing us. Remember, this is about oppression. They've been oppressing us. We've been, my people, and we don't know what the narrative has been between Heber and Jael. We don't know. So that's a house divided. Watch it. The New Testament reminds us of that. Jesus tells us about that. But anyway, Heber's still not appearing on the scene. So she does what she does. And God's word sent through Deborah is fulfilled. What is a prophecy? A prophecy is God's word fulfilled, right? A prophet lie is one that isn't. Everything that God says through the prophet is fulfilled if it's God. He was lying fast asleep from weariness. She took that thing and drove it through his temple. And I don't want to, I, you know, even the visit. I'm one of those people I don't like gory movies and I don't like uh, blood and all that stuff. So when my husband is watching him, I leave the room. So imagine, I, and God deals with me in, in visuals when I'm going through the word. So I'm seeing this in my mind. And I'm going, oh, God, why'd she have to do it that way? Couldn't she have poisoned the milk? <laughs> but understand, when God has a plan, he's showing us something about these people. He's showing us something about the people he is using. All of them, every person in this narrative, every person in this flow of scripture has purpose. Even those who've been defeated. So God, in verse 20, um, where am I? Yeah, I'm in verse 23. And God subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan. Before the people of Israel. See, it wasn't about that peg. It was about the army. The peg was an instrument in that winning, but it was about the army. Okay? God subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan. What did he say he was going to do? He said, I will deliver him. Didn't he? Why do we keep taking credit for what God's doing? Oh, that's just, folks, that's none of you. None of y'all do that. Okay. Well, some folks I know do that. 
Anyway, as he did it, he said, let's go on to, um, yeah, let's go on to the next one. Let's look at these folks. And I looked up their meaning of their names and why, because I'm a genealogist and, and my mama had some, some dreams for me when she gave me my name. And I, I know God doesn't do anything accidentally. Okay, so he has a plan. And so Jabin the king was a discerner. Well, he had ruled and reigned and oppressed for 40 years. And so he chose Sisera, who was his general, who was, by the way, um, swift, smart, shrewd, strong, general. And I looked up some of the things about him, and, and, and he was the right person for the job. He was the best that, that they had to offer. And then there's this nebulous woman, Deborah, who defies description. I think somebody tried to introduce me one time, and, and they were trying to describe what I do. And they said, well, she, she, well, she, wears, a, she wears a lot of hats. Um, yeah, what, but, but what, who is she? What's she? Who's she with? What's she do? And, 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 and I don't think they ever got an answer. Put, put a question mark right there, because I'm going to come back to that. Anyway, so she's a woman that defies description because everybody who has any kind of relationship or dealing with her has to deal with her in the context that they have to deal with her. So we don't know if she was actually given birth, had given birth, but she was a mother in Zion. She was a mother in Israel. She was somebody that was wise. She was somebody that you could go to, get answers from, Okay, are there some like that in your congregation? I'm sure you've got plenty. And so there are some that, that, that would seem to not have any wisdom because they're quiet and you wouldn't approach them. But I bet you if you, if you didn't, didn't let them pull themselves and separate themselves away, you might find out some good information that you need. Just a little challenge. There's Barak. Barak was not a coward. Barak was a general. He was a, he was a soldier. He, he, he was lightning. <laughs> um, he, he was descended from Naphtali. And, and, and as a doe, he, the other thing about him was that he could speak well. He was nice. He, he, he knew how to honor people. So maybe he was honoring Deborah when he said, I'll, I'll go if you go with me. We don't know what was in his mind, but we know what happened. So we don't want to set him up as some kind of lesser than commander because he was fully commander. He was fully a general. Heber. Talk about that dude. What? Look, his name means partner and joiner. And he separated himself away from his people so that what could happen was that his wife, that wild mountain goat, <laughs> could do what she had to do. 
These are the players. People of the promise and people of the prophecy. We may not always understand why and how people are being used to bring about deliverance. I look at some of the conflicts that we are dealing with today. Some of the conflicts I see among people, um, man and woman fighting for um, custody and, and, and not being able to be friends with each other for the good of raising strong families. I see conflict among us all um, when we don't know who we are. We haven't taken the time to find out what those characteristics are about us. And so we are not using the strengths that each of us brings to deliver the people in bondage. We've taken our, our caps of politics and our biases and we've taken them and decided how we're going to separate ourselves from those who we think don't need us or we think should not be us or should not be with us or who are lesser than or more than or better than or equal to or however we decide that we're going to stratify ourselves. And we lose the battle for the souls that are waiting on the other side of our obedience to God's command that we go into all the world making disciples, that we love and love our neighbor as ourselves and we care about those. We love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength and our neighbor as we love ourselves. But how do we love ourselves? We don't treat ourselves as well as we could. So how are we going to learn how to love our neighbors? So let's get busy. Let's recognize those that we don't know among us. Who's the question mark in your assembly? Who is it that you don't know? I, I've been in so many spaces where I've been invisible. And it's, it's okay. Invisibility was what, who JL was. She was just a nomadic woman who knew how to handle a tent peg. Deborah was somebody like liquid silver. You couldn't put your finger on everything she was. All of us have some hidden mysteries. I'm checking time. So I'm going to offer this one last slide. It's not the last one, but next to the last one. But I want you to think about it. It happens to be personal. No, I'm not going to reveal you all my secrets. But I want you to see this one. When I tell you the date, you'll know how old I am. So don't pull out your calculators. So if you can see, there's a, 
there's some names written here, and there's a picture over there. When I was 13, I graduated from grade school. We didn't have, we didn't have middle school and junior high and all that stuff. We had elementary school and high school. Okay, so that, that kind of dates me right there. And that red circle should have been, it got displaced, it should have been right there. That red circle is this red circle right here. And this red circle is a question mark. I spent two years in every class with all of these people. I was the only one, the only one of color in the class for those two years. But I'm a question mark in their memory. What does that say? This was a small town. At the time that I lived there, I don't think there were 5,000 people in the whole town. This question mark got delivered. And you know how I got delivered? I got sent off to a boarding school full of people who told me who I was and looked beneath the surface to develop who I was to see the potential, to tell me, no, you, you don't have to be a domestic as you were advised to be. You can go to college. Let's put you in a college prep course and not a general course like they told you to go into. And then scholarship to nursing school. And then on and on and on and on, challenging to Challenges licenses in Philadelphia and winning against the, the three major uh, networks to, to get um, some, some real uh, talent on that looked like me. Just this, nobody, there are no unknown or insignificant people in God's plan. Look next to you, look around you. Not one person in this room is insignificant in God's plan and what he has for us as his body to move forward with. This church has a great vision for what can be and it is on the way to making that happen. Get to know beyond your borders. And so... That question mark has met the Pope, has traveled and lived in Africa, I'm not Africa, Asia, um, Arabia, has traveled to Africa, has, has, has served God's people joyfully, gratefully since 1980 
And, and, and it's been the best adventure in warfare <laughs> and in love that can ever happen to an individual. And each one of us is a part of that plan. Each one of us is a part of the movement that God has planned. Listen, I know folks are scared of that one world church. But let me tell you, there's only one God. I don't care what they say his name is. There's only one and we're all his. Amen? So here is the rest of the story. God chooses whom he uses, and his will is done. Deliverance comes when we do it together. You see people oppressed, depressed, compressed, and any other way of pressing that you can think of. It'll only happen. Their deliverance will only happen when we do it together. May I pray with you? Father God, we just thank you first of all for this day that you have made. You created it for us to be together in this time, in this place, in this space. And Lord, these, your people have allowed me to come and speak to them today. And I pray, God, that something that has been said will resonate in such a way that it will stir up the gifts that have been hidden, gifts that have been separated, people who have been divided. Uh, it will change our minds, our hearts, whatever needs to be configured, God, and reconfigured so that your plan for us and your plan for your world and your kingdom is fulfilled. I pray for the leadership of this assembly, God, that you would continue to use them to uh, lighten the world, brighten the world, this corner of this area. And as you send them out in that apostolic call across the borders, across the situations, and give them the hearts of love to see your creation as you created it to be, not as it is, but as you created it to be, God, we thank you for the privilege of joining together in unity. For in unity, oh God, we know that deliverance will come. As your people are crying out in this world today, God, we're all crying together for deliverance, but God, we know that it's waiting for our obedience to your plan and your word. God, do it for your glory. Do it because you are our God. You are majesty, and we love you. And we surrender ourselves to you for your plan.